Good morning. I, I guess Shelly finally got her way. She's always talked to me about pacing when I do um, my lectures. <laughs> There's no pacing today. <laughs> they set up early for the orchestra thing tomorrow night or whenever that is. And, and they told me when I was standing out there, they said, they've put some lines down for you so you know where you can go and you can't go. And so I walked in to look at the lines, and this is what I saw. So, so we're ready for tomorrow night, and I won't be pacing much at all today. But um, I'm so glad to be here. My name is Vanita Jones, and I love Thursday mornings with you. And I want to say hello to all the women at, at West Campus who are joining us also. And it just makes my heart go pitter-patter to know that all you women have taken the time to carve out of your chaotic schedule to study God's Word. That's really an awesome thing. And I hope that His words feed you and you find something today that you can take home with you and apply to your lives. You know, He loves for us to read and study His Word, but you know what He loves even more? He loves to see us applying it in our lives. He loves that we plant it in our hearts and that every area of our lives, even that area, I have it, I know you do, that one little area, maybe two, three, ten, twelve, that you just can't quite pry your hands open yet. He even wants that. He wants you to pry your hands open and let him show you his power and his might that comes from reading his word and applying it to your lives. You know, we've been studying the Psalms for eight weeks now. I thought it was really, it's been an awesome study so far. We've studied Psalms of praise. We've studied confession, lament, suffering, and the breath of fresh air, thanksgiving. 118 is what we're doing today. I thought this would be so easy because we've had three weeks of lament, confession, suffering. It's Thanksgiving. This is awesome. This is going to be easy. They're going to want to see me up here. It's 118. This is a great psalm. You know, I started studying, looking at what the psalms really were before I started looking at the psalm I was going to teach. And I found it interesting. and I'd never really thought of this. The Psalms are like an ancient prayer book. It's like we're getting to open someone's prayer book up and read these prayers. And some of these prayers have been put to song. It's kind of like Old Testament karaoke. They've taken this prayer book and they're singing them in different places in the temple and before important feasts and ceremonies. And we're getting to peek into that. And read their prayers. And, and I, I learned some other things. I learned that the Psalms are more loved and quoted by people in of all the books of the Bible. That they're memorized more than any other verses of the Bible. I bet everyone out here has at least one verse that they've memorized out of the Psalms. And, and for me, it's paraphrasing. And I bet if I just ask you to say it, you could just say it like that. Everyone has a verse from the Psalms. That's how much they're read and loved by people. You know, I've been, we were encouraged from the very beginning to take this ancient prayer book and to open it and start taking things from this prayer book that we could apply to our lives. And I hope you've enjoyed doing that. I really have. I've seen some awesome things that I needed to make changes in my prayer life. Not only how, but also when and, and about what I was praying about. Now, I, I, um, I, I, just, I thought it was interesting how... Um, how these psalms seem like they're a passionate expression of love, aren't they? It's like someone's written a love letter to, to the creator of the universe. 
I thought that was so cool. And, and for me, it taught me that I should be honest when I'm talking to God. Don't hold back. Let him know what you're thinking. He already knows it. He loves for you to say it. But I think it's also important that they remind us to remember exactly who is the God of the universe and who isn't the God of the universe. <laughs> they kind of put us in our relation to God in almost every psalm that we read. Now, I, can, I wish I could tell you there was some real deep theological reason I chose Psalm 118, but I'm going to tell you the real reason I chose it. I had prayed about it for some time. What should I choose? What psalm? There's so many. And I started flipping through, and I, and I got all the way back to 117. I thought, shortest one. This could be easy. <laughs> and then I glanced past 118, 119. Ooh, longest one, 119. Don't want to do that. Then I realized that's kind of cool. 118 is sandwiched right between the longest, the shortest, and the longest psalm. And while I was thinking sandwich, I think meat. And I'm thinking the meat of this sandwich has got to be in 118. So I started reading it, and I was blown away by this psalm. I had really never taken the time to read this psalm. But you know what? I found some little-known facts about this psalm that I want to share with you. I found five, as a matter of fact. Do you remember on Facebook last fall when everybody would give you a number, and then you had to post whatever that number was, say six. Six little-known facts about yourself on the wall. I was terrified that I was going to get a number. And I never did, thank goodness. I still have all those little mysteries that I can keep to myself. But there were five little-known facts that I learned about this psalm. And I'm going to start with number five and work to number one. The first known about this psalm is that they have no idea who wrote it. Nobody. They, there was speculation all over the place. Nobody knows who wrote this. Number four, 118 is quoted in the New Testament more than any other psalm. That's some meat. That tells you this is going to be some meat on the sandwich. And number three, this is the only psalm that's quoted in all four of the Gospels. It's quoted three times in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and one time in John. Now, number two might have sounded a little hokey to some people, but to me it kind of sounded kind of cool. Did you know that the very middle of the Bible, the very middle of the verse of the Bible is found in, verse one, in, in Psalms 118. It's kind of like standing in Lebanon, Kansas, and going, I'm in the center of the United States. When you read 118, verse 8, now some people say, some say it's 9, but they're about the same. Verse 118, verse 8, or Psalm 118, verse 8, you're staying in the very middle of the Bible. So, of course, I had to throw everything aside, grab that, and start reading that, that verse. I was hoping it wasn't going to be about God's wrath on his people or something terrifying like that. But no, it said this. It said, it is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. That was my first clue that this psalm was not only about thanksgiving. If the very center verse of the Bible is talking about trust, there's going to be something to the trust and thanksgiving thing. And the number one fact, drum roll, is I felt like Everybody else did. It's bookends of thanksgiving. Did you see the first and the last verse are thanksgiving verses? And it's almost like it's on the shelf of the library with these volumes of action-packed books. And they're bookend by thanksgiving. 
I thought that was so cool to imagine it as a volumes of this guy's life of when he had been delivered from the Lord and it was in the front and the back, bookend by Thanksgiving. I thought that was a fabulous way to look at this verse or this chapter. I hope I've whet your appetite for this psalm and I hope you enjoyed studying it as much as I did. I'm going to start out and I'm going to read the first four verses today as we get started. And I want you to open your books. I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version. And I'm going to start at verse 1. It says, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say, his steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, his steadfast love endures forever. And let those who fear the Lord say, his steadfast love endures forever. You know, as I started studying this, and I read that first verse so many times... I, it sounded so familiar to me, but I couldn't think, where had I heard this? Where had I heard it? And then it hit me one day. As from the minute I could actually say a word till just a couple months ago when I was with my family for Christmas, our prayer before every single meal says, goes like this. It goes, come Lord Jesus, be our guest, and let this food to us be blessed. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good and his love endures forever. Amen. I have been saying this psalm since I was like two years old. And I'll be honest, I have never really thought about what I was saying. Except that, let this food be blessed to me and get done so we can start eating. I had no idea all the depth in this one verse that I had been saying for, well, 29 years, of course. <laughs> or so. But... <laughs> But unknown to this psalmist, he, it's un, this unknown psalmist, he opens up by saying, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, and his steadfast love endures forever. I thought it was interesting. He didn't open up by saying, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, because he has done such good things for me. Not at all. He said, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. That's all. That's all. Essentially, he's telling us that God's goodness has less to do with what he's done for us and has more to do with who he is. Because God is always to be praised and thanked, whether we're receiving anything good from him or not, whether we think our needs are being met or not. Because whether, whatever's going on in our life, he's still all-knowing. He's still always present. He's never changing. He's faithful. He's sovereign. And the list goes on and on and on. And I loved that the one thing the psalmist decided to tell us about God that he wanted us to remember is that he loves us. He's always loved us. He's loved us before we were even born, before we were even thought of. He loves us right now, no matter what's going on around us. And he's going to love us right into eternity with him. That's never going to change. It's not dependent on our circumstances. I decided to look up the definition of the word thanksgiving, and I found this. It said, grateful acknowledgement for benefits or favors, an expression of gratitude for something received or done. Now, that was out of Webster's Dictionary. It sounds about like what we're used to, except I would have probably added turkey dressing and football with all of that. But... Sounds nothing like the Bible's definition of, of thanksgiving. 
at all. See, the Bible's definition of, of thanksgiving is not an expression of thanks for something that we've been given or something, that, or something good that's come our way. Yet, instead, because we're followers of Christ and Christ lives within us, our definition of thanksgiving should sound like this. It should be a daily expression of Christ's life should be a daily expression of Christ in us. We should be reflecting him in everything we do. If you look at 1 Thessalonians on your verse sheet, verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 18, it says this, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. God is commanding us to be thankful in all circumstances. Not just the good times, but in tragedies and irritations and annoyances and bad health or whatever it is. And after reading that verse in Thessalonians, we can say without a doubt that the world's definition of thanksgiving does not line up at all with the biblical definition of thanksgiving. And I think the world's definition of telling us to be thankful when we've been given something good or had something good done to us, I think all that's going to do when we thank God for only what he's done, it's going to cause us to be grumbling and complaining. Because there's going to be those times when we don't feel like our needs have been met. Or at least they've not been met the way I thought they should have been met. You ever felt like that? Or we don't feel like anything good's been happening in our lives lately. That doesn't change who God is. It's, he's still the same. Look at James 1, verse 2 through 3 on your verse sheet. It says, Count it all joy, brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And in Paul's letter to the Philippians, we see uh, chapter 4, verse 4. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Not just when it's good, but always. And again I say, rejoice. It's the easiest thing in the world to complain. I was complaining yesterday about the weather without even thinking about it and then I started reading through this and I went here I am it was 30 degrees I had been in flip-flops just two or three days earlier I was furious that it was 30 degrees at my house again and I started to complain about it and it's so easy to slide into that we complain about our jobs or our houses our husbands our kids or everything we're always complaining about something in our lives and then it begins to rule our lives. Because now we've slid back over to that definition of thanksgiving that the world gives us instead of what God tells us. But as followers of Christ, we don't live like the world anymore. We shouldn't. We're new creation. We shouldn't live like that anymore. We should be able to give thanks even when nothing's going on in our lives that looks good to anybody else. Because Christ lives in us and we want to reflect him to others. And by thanking God for who he is, it leads us to this life of thanksgiving in both the good and the bad times. It won't, be, it won't be a matter of what's going on in our lives. I read a quote by Matthew Henry that said this about living a life of thanksgiving. He said, thanksgiving is good, but thanksgiving is better. And that really struck a chord with me. Because that thanksgiving is a life that glorifies God in all circumstances, no matter what's going on in our lives. See, for us, it shouldn't only be a question of, of what should I thank God for today? What blessing is he giving me today? It should also be a question, how can I live my life so that others see Christ and know that I'm thankful 
for Christ in my life. Not just what the good thing is he's done for me for that day. We should always ask, how can I live a life so others see Christ in me? And by doing that, God is glorified. And I believe, ladies, that a life of thanks living, that it's contagious. I think it's contagious, and it always points others back to Christ. And that is our ultimate goal. That's what we're here for. We're supposed to be here to point others back to Christ. You know, I envision this psalmist, he was, as he was writing this, I, I don't know what was going on in his life, but I, had been, I had envisioned that he's coming back from some treacherous battle that he's been through, and he's entering through the gates of this city, and he's, he's calling out to everyone around him to join him in this, in this worship time, and he's praising and thanking God, and he wants everyone to join in. He says to Israel, come on, come with me. Tell, God, tell everyone how God loves you. And you, house of Aaron, come on, help us worship and tell everyone how God loves you. And while you're at it, everyone that fears the Lord, let's tell everyone we meet about God's love for us. He wants everyone to join him. You can just feel it. that The excitement is just building and building. And he just, he, he, comes, he comes to this point where he just has to tell them. It's like he's at an old tent revival, like a southern tent revival. He can't stand it anymore. He's got to stand and testify about God's goodness. And we're going to continue to read. We're going to begin to learn a little bit about what has caused him to actually thank God for his goodness and his steadfast love. I want you to look at the next 11 verses with me. Open up to verse 5. And I'm going to read through to 14. And what we're going to see here is how thanksgiving or thanksgiving and trust go together. That they actually go hand in hand. Follow along as I start at verse 5. Out of my distress I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and he set me free. The Lord is on my side and I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. There it is, right in the very center vortex of the Bible. And it's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. All the nations surrounded me. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. You know, I read in the message, he says, I pushed their faces in the dirt. I thought that was pretty intense. That's pretty tough. That's not just cutting them off. They surrounded me. They surrounded me on every side. And in the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me like bees. They're, they're just numerous, he says. They went out like a fire among thorns. They moved faster than the flu in February. That's how fast this was moving. And in the name of the Lord, I cut them off. I was pushed hard so that I was falling, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. You know, I feel like when I read this that I am reading the script to some action-packed movie that I expect Russell Crowe or Mel Gibson to be the, the heroine. And he's running, he's surrounded by his enemy and they're after him and they're on every side and they're coming fast and there's just too numerous to count. But, you know, I, I don't know what it was. I wish we knew. I read so many different commentaries of what this could have been. And none of them lined up with the next one. But there was one. There was one that kind of stuck out to me. Maybe I hung on to it just because it was familiar to me. There was one commentary that suggested that they were referring to this was somebody who had been at the building, rebuilding of the wall around Jerusalem. 
And it made sense to me because we had just studied this last spring. Do you remember we studied Ezra and Nehemiah? And do you remember when Nehemiah starts to rebuild this wall around Jerusalem? Opposition, 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 Sambalat, Tobiah, Geshem, the Arab. Remember the three stooges that showed up all the time to try to stop this? And Nehemiah, the stud of the Bible, he just keeps on moving. He just keeps on building. Nothing shut him down. And he built this wall. Do you remember this? It was ginormous. This wall was huge, and he built it in 52 days. 52 days. Look on your verse sheet, and it's going to tell us what it was like for them building this. In Nehemiah 4, 15 through 17. When our enemies heard that it was known to us that our God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each of us to his work. From that day on, half of my servants worked on the construction. The other held the spears, the shields, the bows, and the coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building the wall, on the wall. Those who carried burdens were loaded, and listen to this, in such a way that they labored on the work with one hand and they held their weapon with the other. These guys were under stress. They were building and fighting and building and fighting, and it went on for 52 days. So it wasn't hard for me to think that maybe this guy was actually at the rebuilding of that wall. Or whatever it was, it was at least that stressful. I know that much. You know, I read a quote from uh, John MacArthur, and I think he tied Thanksgiving and trust together for me quite nicely. He says this. He says, A thankful heart is one of the primary identifying characteristics of a believer. It stands in stark contrast to pride, selfishness, and worry. And here it is. This is where he ties... Thanksgiving with trust. He says a thankful heart helps to fortify the believer's trust in the Lord and his reliance on his provision, even in the toughest times. No matter how choppy the seas get, a believer's heart is buoyed by constant thanksgiving and gratefulness to the Lord. Thankfulness and trust, they go hand in hand. And he makes that connection for us. He says that thanks living fortifies our trust in the Lord's provision, even in the toughest times. Now, as you did your question this week and you read over this part, I wanted you to look at the word that was repeated over and over. What was it? Lord. Yes, every verse. Out of, a, out of 10 verses, he says it 11 times. And, and I think, it just it blew me away. First of all, I, I think it's awesome that he continually pointed his victory back to the Lord. I think he didn't want anybody to be misunderstood at all who gave him this victory. He didn't want anybody to think that any of it was credited to him, his intelligence or his ninja-like skills or whatever it was he was using, not to any of the human efforts around him. I think he wanted everyone to have no mistake, no mistake, that his Lord is the one that got him through this and gave him victory. It's obvious to me that this man of God, when testifying to his goodness, he found it natural and easy to call out to the Lord. In fact, I think the only credit he's going to take at all for this victory is the fact that he did call out to the Lord. He did it a lot. And he did it under intense stress. See, calling out to the Lord in times of distress, it puts our focus on the one who's able to deliver us. It takes it off what's going on here and it puts it back where it belongs on, that, on the God who is good and loves us forever and always has loved us. Reading these action-packed verses made me wonder just how was he able to do this? How? 
when he is surrounded by enemies as numerous as bees, they're moving fast as fire through thorns, and he's surrounded on every side, and I felt like he was hanging off a cliff and God was going to grab him up. How was the first thing he did, the first thing on his lips, was to cry out to the Lord? How did he do that? I think because it was natural and easy, he had learned this one important fact. I think he had learned that calling out to the Lord in times of distress becomes a habit when we communicate with the Lord in times of ease. When we take the time to, to learn about God when nothing big is going on in our lives. When we, have, when we say during those prayer request times, I don't have anything to pray about. That's when you should be looking at this and seeing who God really is. Dive in right then. Because the trials are going to come. And then you're going to be ready. I'm pretty sure that part of that communication with the Lord, that he, he was spending his time thanking God for who he is. And he was spending time remembering how God's love had endured for him through the ages. And I think he was able to relinquish that control at that moment and call out to the Lord because he knew. He knew his God was all-powerful. Who better to call out to? He knew his God was all-knowing, was faithful, and most of all, that he loved him. The attribute list goes on and on and on, and he knew those things beforehand. I think Psalms 118 makes it very clear how thanksgiving and trust go hand in hand. But we see it other places in the Bible. Look at your verse sheet at Colossians 2, 6 through 7. It says, Therefore, as you received Christ your Lord, Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith. Faith. He's saying, Trust Christ, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. And then we look at Psalms 9, verse 10. It says this. It says, And those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. See, when we spend time daily thanking God for who he is and not just for what he's giving us or what he's doing for us, we begin to believe not just in God. Lots of people believe in God. But we take it that next step. We begin to believe that God is able to handle that situation that's coming up in our lives. Every single detail of our lives, he can handle it, the big and the small. And when we call out to the Lord, ladies, in time to distress, we point others to the character of God. Because when they see us dealing with our stressful situations, they get to see God's awesome character as he works out the details through that trial. And they begin to learn who our God really is. You know, I mentioned earlier that when we live this life of thanksgiving, or in the famous words of Matthew Henry, a life of thanksgiving, 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 we see God's hand in every single situation. We have a tremendous impact on the world around us. And I think that's what we begin to see in these next verses as we read on. I want you to take your Bibles, and we're going to read verse 15 through 27. Glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord exalts. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. The Lord has disciplined me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. 
The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us be, rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, and we bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, and he has made his lights to shine upon us. Bind the festival sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. I'm going to give you a little unknown fact about me, and some of you may know this. I love Broadway musicals. To me, they're only levels of good when it comes to Broadway musicals. I'll set through bad ones and amazing ones. And have you ever noticed that when you go to one, it always, almost every scene starts out kind of quiet. Someone's out contemplating something, and someone comes, and they may start singing, and someone else comes in, and they start talking and singing. And then all of a sudden, you turn around, there's a whole stage full of people, and they're all, you know, parts coming to sing and dance more and more. By the end of it, it crescendos to this fabulous sound that gives you chills up and down your spine of everybody dancing and singing and using about this whatever they've been talking about down here now everybody's singing about it don't you feel like that what we just read i feel like this guy has come in he's the main character he's talking about you know oh this is happening to me and then someone listens and they start singing about that and then someone else hears and before he knows he turns around and the whole people of Israel are singing and dancing with him in this huge crescendo of thanksgiving. And now they're at the temple, and I feel like they're going to the altar to worship God. And, and they're all in unison in this. I see the author of this psalm encouraging everyone around him to join in and praise and thank God with him. We see how the faith of those he's called to, we see how their faith is beginning to be bolstered, don't we? We see that they're hearing his stories of deliverance, and now they're dancing on that stage behind him. They're right there with him. I bet if it was a tent revival, that there wasn't one person that didn't want to throw their hands up and just yell, Amen! Because he had gotten to that point, and they were so excited to be there worshiping with him, and and they could not wait to thank God with him. The best way to seal God's blessings in our heart is to tell others of the goodness in our lives. Of God's goodness in our lives, it's everywhere. And when we recount our stories of deliverance, we, not, we remind ourselves, too, that, that God is faithful. And it bolsters our faith. When we testify to God's goodness in the bad times, we strengthen our own faith. But not only that... Our stories of deliverance, they have this tremendous impact on the people around us. People love to hear our stories of deliverance. You know who really loves to hear your stories of deliverance? Your own family. Start right there with your own family. With your children, your grandchildren, your nieces, your nephews, your uncles, your aunts, everybody. They're going to be this awesome audience to tell about how God has delivered you. You know, many of these truths that I've learned in this, in Psalm 118, I learned about 16 years ago. Or at least, was it revealed to me a little bit, about 16 years ago. When my youngest daughter, Kaki, was born. <clears throat> Prior to her birth, I had been involved in a Bible study with some women where we studied the attributes of God. We were learning about the character of God, and I was just overwhelmed by it to the point that I was writing down these characters, these attributes in the front of my Bible so that I would always be able to remember these. And little did I know that after the birth of my fourth child that I was going to be reading that over and over and over 
Because shortly after she was born, we found out that she had something called cranial synostosis. Had never heard of it in my entire life. And what it was, it, it meant that all the bones of her skull were grown together at birth. And they're not usually. And she didn't have a soft spot. And if this was going to not be corrected, what was going to happen is she would begin to have cranial pressure that would cause, would cause her to, to, to throw up and, and be sick at her stomach and nausea and be dizzy and have headaches. She would start getting facial deformities because her head wasn't expanding like it should. Her head would have funny knots and stuff on it. And then and, and later on, we'd see developmental issues with her because wherever the brain was not being allowed to expand because the skull wouldn't expand with it. You know, faced with this, my husband and I both, we pleaded with everybody we knew. We pleaded with people we didn't know to pray for us, to pray for Khaki, to pray that God would guide us, because we had some big decisions to make, where to have the surgery, who to do the surgery, what kind of surgery they were going to do, because there was all these different ways to do it. There were so many decisions, and over four months, our lives were consumed with CAT scans and MRIs and daily something, doctor's appointments, and on May 15th, 1998... Five months after Kaki was born, she finally hit that 10-pound weight that she needed to be so that we could do the surgery. And at 8 o'clock that morning, I handed my little five-month-old baby over to the doctors, and they took her into surgery. It was terrifying, to say the least. There was a whirlwind. It started a whirlwind around me of, of doctors and nurses and ICUs and, and IVs and, and big decisions and all this crazy stuff we never thought we were going to be dealing with. And four days into it, we were uh, one day from being dis dismissed, which, by the way, was three days sooner than anybody was going supposed to be dismissed for this, but she was doing so well. I stepped out of the room for the first time. We had been so consumed with caring for her. I stepped out, and I was talking to other parents... And I was amazed as we shared our experiences that our experience had been nothing like theirs. And in this flood, this tsunami of remembrance, God began to reveal to me all the things he had done for me and that he had done for Khaki and he had done for the doctors. And it was just overwhelming to me all the way back to before she was even born when he taught me to look at who he really was because he knew I was going to have to hang on to that one day. And he answered so many prayers, I couldn't wait to tell people. That's all I wanted to do, was just run and tell the next person and grab him and go, you're not going to believe what he's done for us. And you know the one thing that just blew me away, down to the smallest details, but the one that got me was one that I only had a few people praying for with me, was about the nurse. Who was going to be Khaki's nurse? Because we had been told for 72 hours, she would not, her head was going to be huge. It was going to swell to the size of a basketball. She would not be able to see. She would be crying constantly. It was going to be the hardest 72 hours of your life. You just have to get through it. They all have to go through it when they have the surgery. And I knew her surgery was on Friday morning. I'm also not just a mother. I'm a medical professional. And I know I've drawn that weekend shift before. It's not always where you want to be. And you try really hard not to let it show, but sometimes it slips out. And I wanted that nurse to be the right nurse for us. And guess what? Friday morning or Saturday morning, we're finished. We're in ICU. They move us up to the pediatric floor. And guess what nurse finds us? The sweetest godly woman that I could have ever prayed for. She, get this, is a mother of seven, doesn't work during the week, 
She only works every other weekend, and when she does, she works two double shifts on Saturday and Sunday. That's code for she's my doctor for 16 hours Saturday and Sunday. Only when I'm asleep is when she's going to be gone and we have somebody else. Only when we're all taking our nighttime naps is she going to be gone. I was blown away by that because I would wake up and I would find this lady with her hand on my baby praying for her when I was too tired to stay awake and do it. She was amazing. She was amazing. God handled even that little detail that only two or three other people I had shared that with, and they were praying with me about it. I was overwhelmed when I realized what he had done for me, and I couldn't wait to share that story with others. But you know who loves to hear that story? Kaki. Oh, my goodness. She loves that story. She used to crawl up and still tries to crawl up on lap, and she's all langly and gangly now, but she crawls up on my lap, and she wants to hear every little detail of how God delivered her when she was that tiny and how he loved her before she was even born. And I've watched her. She is one of the most disciplined, passionate people I've ever met in my life. And she tells me every day, I just want to be a, I want to be a missionary or a youth leader. And that's all she can think about. And I watch her work through problems in her life. And I know that that story has helped her as she, set, she learns to follow God's plan all through her life. Just at 16. I'm excited to see what he's going to do with her as she takes that trust and takes it into her future. Our testimonies of deliverance should start right in our own homes. Tell them to your kids. Tell them to your family, your moms, your dads, your aunts, your uncles, whoever will listen to you. And the people of this psalm, they had learned from this man to call on the Lord. And we begin to see them trust God with their future. See, testifying to God's goodness in the bad times points others to the one who's able to deliver. The one that's able to take care of you. We see him doing this very thing. He points them back to the Lord every time. And then, did you notice, kind of in the middle there, around verse 23, we start seeing it change from I and me to we, us, and our? I think it had gone from just him testifying. They were saying amen. They were in it now. And we see that they, they're now calling out to the Lord. Did you see that? They said they're calling out. They're asking him to save them, to bless them. They're saying, bless us like you've blessed him. We trust that you are going to take care of us. They're praising and thanking God as they rest in his sovereignty, knowing that he loves them forever. See, testifying to the goodness of God in the bad times, it naturally leads us to this life of thanksgiving, a life of thanksgiving. And a life of thanksgiving is one where we make it a habit of thanking God, even when he's not, doesn't look like he's doing what's good in our lives. There are so many verses throughout the Psalms that speak of God, praising God's name and telling others of God's greatness. You know, all through the Bible, as a matter of fact. I just put a few on your verse sheet. Psalms 18, 49. For this I praise you, O Lord, among the nations, and sing your name. Psalms 57, 9. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the people. I will sing praises to you among the nations. Psalms 145, 21. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord. Let all the flesh bless your holy name forever and ever. It's all through the Bible we learn to testify to God's goodness. I want to finish up and read the last two verses of 118, starting at verse 28. It says, I think we shifted back now from everyone back to I and me, where he says, you are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, and I will extol you. 
Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. See, in these last two verses, we see it switch back to just him. And he's reflecting back on what he's just seen and all the good that God's going to do with his story of deliverance. And he continues to thank God for who he is, not just for what he's been given, but that his love endures forever. And it's that bookend. He's added one more novel of exciting deliverance into his volumes of his life, and he's booking it up with thanksgiving at the very end. But something tells me that this psalmist would have been able to say, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, and his steadfast love endures forever, even if he hadn't had this tremendous victory. I think he would have still been saying that. I think he still would have seen God in every, se- every second of what he'd been through because I think he lived a life of thanks living, not just giving thanks for what he's been given. See, living a life of thanks living requires us to thank God for who he is. We've got to get to know his character. And how do you do that? You're doing it. Study his word. Be ready. When you don't have anything big going on, you know what you should be doing. Studying about who God is. Put on that armor. Be ready. So when you go to battle, you can call out to him first. Living a life of thanksgiving requires us to thank God in all circumstances. All circumstances. When our minds are consumed with gratefulness and thanksgiving to God, there's a little bit, just a little bitty time left for us to worry and complain about anything. Because we're busy thanking God for the good stuff in our lives. Living a life of thanksgiving requires us to trust him always. Trusting always. Who better to trust than him? He made you. He knows better than you what you need. You may think you know, but he knows better. And living a life of thanksgiving requires us to testify. Testify of his goodness. Our stories of deliverance, they, they have this tremendous impact on the world around us. And this life of thanksgiving is going to take the sting out of adversity for you. And the way he does that is he gives his, we give him thanks. We give him thanks no matter how we feel or what's going on in our lives. Because who he is. And then, you know what he does? He gives us his peace and his joy regardless of what's going on around us. See, thanksgiving is good, but thanksgiving, it's even better. Please pray with me. Precious Father, we love you for who you are. You're a God of love. You're a God of who's faithful. You're loyal. You're caring. You, the list goes on and on, Father. We just exalt you for who you are. Lord, I pray that when the trials do come, that we would remember those attributes and your first words on our lips will be calling out to you. Father, I pray that you just bless these women for spending time in your word and Lord, that you would redeem their time and that they would just have rich fellowship. In Christ's name I pray this. Amen.